Thank you, choir and orchestra. I look forward to this afternoon and this evening as we have our celebration of liberty. It is always a highlight for me as I am reminded of this wonderful country and the way the Lord has blessed it. So I hope that you are a part of it. In my memory, there has never been a time when we are as confused about our identity as Americans as now. Are we indeed one nation under God? It seems to me, and I think you would agree, that the values on which this country was built are under attack today, rejected today, and the church is under attack today in an unprecedented fashion. I believe possibly the reason for that, or one of the large reasons for that, is because of a misunderstanding of the Establishment Clause. And perhaps if we look at it within its historic content, it will give some clarity to us as to how it came about and what it meant. In 1789, George Washington responded to an August 8 letter from the General Committee of Virginia Baptists who were concerned that some of the amendments being sent to the states were going to erode the religious liberty that they had. George Washington replied in a letter to them, if I could have entertained the slightest apprehension that the Constitution framed in the convention where I had the honor to preside might possibly endanger the religious rights of any ecclesiastical society, certainly I would have never placed my signature on it. So the first president of the United States stated in the letter that he was one who was committed to the preservation of religious liberty. In 1791, Virginia Baptist encouraged James Madison to add an amendment to the Constitution, which is the Establishment Clause. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the Establishment Clause then was adopted in 1791. Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association of Connecticut, January 1, 1802, who had written to him expressing their concern about the erosion of religious liberty. He wrote, I contemplate with solemn reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. We hear a lot about the phrase, the wall of separation between church and state, and many think it's in the Constitution. It is not in the Constitution. It was in this letter that was written by Jefferson to those Baptists in Connecticut. The founders' understanding of the separation of church and state has been distorted today to cause people to think that if the church 
is involved in the public arena, that is a violation of the Constitution. As a matter of fact, recently I was at the Southern Baptist Convention where they are considering the possibility that no political person, office holder, is allowed to speak to the convention going forward. Now you may agree with that, it seems however strange to me, because we are living under the laws that they passed, then why in heaven's name would we not want to hear them if they have something to say to the convention? But it is considered today. You see, there is this distortion of the idea that if there is a religious body, they are not to be involved in the political arena. Separation of church and state never was intended to divide the country. Instead, it was given to ensure that the government did not encroach on religious liberty. Obviously, there have always been those areas in which we are not united. For instance, in a belief in God. There are those who believe in God. There are those who do not believe in God. That is true today. That was true in the beginning of our country. We have never totally agreed as to what is moral and what is not moral. For instance, where I grew up, there was a group of people who believed it to be a sin if women wore makeup. There were others who believed it was a sin if they did not. <laughs> but we have never been in total agreement in those things. The founding fathers desired liberty, not unanimity, not uniformity, but liberty that we had freedom. Today I want us to look at Christian citizenship. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 27. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. In verse number 27, he said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word manner that is used there is the Greek word from which we get the word politics. Paul then is literally saying, let your citizenship, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we look at our country and we look at our responsibility, the founding fathers and the founding documents of our country were committed to the idea of freedom for the citizen. 
The focus of our founding documents was on freedom. Today the focus is on equality. The results are dramatically different. The founding fathers believed that we were equal in this respect. That we have been created by God. You are created by God. I am created by God. We are equal in creation. It doesn't mean that we are intellectually equal. It doesn't mean that we are economically equal. It does not mean that we are athletically equal. We are equal in creation. God created you. God created me. That's what they believed. Because you were created by God and I was created by God, then we are to have freedom so you can be the person that God created you to be. So then liberty is a divine gift. It originated in the heart of God. When God created man, put him in the Garden of Eden, in that garden he placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he placed the tree in the garden along with man, he gave man freedom. Man can now choose his master. Joshua stood before the people of Israel and said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. If Baal be God, follow him. If God be God, follow him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But ladies and gentlemen, you have the freedom. If you wish to follow God, you may do so. If you wish to follow Baal, you may do so. But you have the freedom to choose your master. You have the freedom to choose your lifestyle. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 and 28, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God and the curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God. You are free to choose your lifestyle. And the Bible says that God sets before you two directions. You can choose to follow him and receive his blessings or you can choose not to follow him and reject his blessings. But you have the right to choose. You choose your lifestyle. You choose your eternal destiny. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. So you understand that God has given you freedom. And you choose your eternal destiny. There is a broad way leads to death. There is a narrow way leads to life. It isn't unusual that someone will say to me at times, I don't believe 
that God would send anyone to hell, with which I agree. God does not send people to hell. They choose it. We choose our destiny. We choose if we are going to go the narrow path or we are going to go the broad path. But the choice is ours. America was founded on the idea that God intended man to be free. And that is reflected in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So it was not Congress who gave us these rights. It was not the lawmakers who gave us these rights. It was God. You must always remember that when someone gives you something, someone can take it away. Our freedom cannot be taken away because it was given to us by God. Liberty is a divine gift, but it is a fragile gift. 42% of the world is not free today. So how do we lose it? Well, our freedom can be taken away by those who are stronger than us. That's what happened to Israel. The Egyptians took the Hebrews captive, made slaves out of them, and they served in that capacity for many years because the Egyptians were stronger. Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon with his army, took the Hebrews captive again, and they lived in Babylon under captivity. During the time of Jesus, Rome had taken captive Israel or Palestine, and they were under their authority. So how then can we lose our freedom? Well, those who are stronger can take our freedom from us. That is the reason I believe, I agree with, the idea that America always has to be strong, and that is the reason that we emphasize some of the things that we do. Because there are enemies out there who believe if we are weak, then they can take us. There is Russia, there is China, there is Iran, there are the other places of which we could discuss. But we can lose our freedom to those who are stronger than us. My concern, however, and what I believe to be the greatest danger is that we give our freedom away. Not that it's taken away, but that it is given away. That happened to Israel. After they were freed from Egyptian bondage, they were willing to give up their freedom and return to Egypt. Is that amazing? After all those years of suffering, they were willing to give up their freedom and return to Egypt. Why? Why would they be willing to do that? Well, first, because they had an unrealistic focus. As they reminisced in Numbers 11, 5, they said, We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. For heaven's sake, 
They had been slaves. Now they are given their freedom. And as they sit around the campfires, they say, you remember when we used to go down Captain D's and get that fish? Oh, my goodness. What I wouldn't give for some fresh fish. Man, we used to have that. When we were in Egypt, you remember those times we got together? Ate fish, had fish fries, catfish stew. Mickey told me this morning, he said, I made a lot of catfish stew out of stripers. You see, their focus was wrong. They're not focusing on their freedom. They're focusing on the fish. They ate free when they were slaves back in Egypt. They also had ungrateful hearts. They asked the Lord to give them food, and the Lord did. God gave them manna to eat. And in Numbers eleven six, they said, But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. I am so sick of manna. I mean, we've got manna helper. We put it in everything. Put it in hamburger meat. We put it in everything. I'm so sick of manna. Ungrateful. Sometimes we get that way, don't we? And we lose focus when we do. That's what happened to them. Well, I look at America and our freedom and our willingness to give it away. You know, in the past, we marched for freedom, right? There was a suffrage movement. There was a civil rights movement. We marched for freedom. Today, we march to give those rights back. Today there are demonstrations, there are marches, because we want the government to take our freedoms back. Why? Why would we do that? Well, because of a false sense of peace, I think. We think that if I give some of these rights back, then we can have peace. Everybody's going to like me. Everybody's going to get along. So we have peace if I give up some of my rights. There is a belief in a false sense of security. That if I give up my rights, then we are going to have security because the government is going to take care of us. Do you know of any place where that's worked out long term? I give up my rights and the government takes care of me? That's utopianism. And it has never worked anywhere. Benjamin Franklin warned, those who give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty or safety. Our forefathers were committed to freedom. It is a divine gift, but it is fragile. The foundation for liberty is the character of the nation's citizens. And folks, I, I, I doubt that you're different than I am, but I'm extremely grateful 
to be a citizen of this wonderful country. A patriot is grateful for the country. And I'm grateful for America because our birth was righteous. When the pilgrims came to this country, they stated in the Mayflower Compact why they had come. They said they had come for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. I guess one could say they came as missionaries to this land. They came for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. I'm grateful for this land because of our righteous birth. I'm grateful for this land because of its natural resources and beauty. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the beauty of America. From the wheat fields of Kansas to the oil fields of Texas, from the orange groves of Florida to the gold mines of South Carolina, it's a beautiful land. Sometimes when I'm coming in on Sunday morning, the sun will so be back there about to come up and I look back and see that on the horizon. And I can't help but think, God, you made such a beautiful day. I'm grateful for this nation because of its resources. I'm grateful for this nation because of the sacrifice of patriots that preceded me. My father fought in World War II. My brother fought in the Vietnam War. And I'm humbled by their sacrifice and the sacrifice that others have made because of their love for this country. A patriot is consistently grateful and consistently responsible. Someone has said to be born free is a privilege, to die free is an awesome responsibility. And I guess this is the reason I am concerned, that as our religion is under attack today, I know that it is a threat to all our freedoms. Newsweek magazine reported on those who attack conservative Christians. They wrote, the theory goes like this. Our enemy in Afghanistan is religious extremism and intolerance. Therefore, it is more important than ever to honor the ideals of tolerance. So we see what happens. If one is a conservative Christian, then they are compared to an extremist Islamist, and therefore they are to be rejected. The patriot is consistently faithful. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. This country was founded in faith. It was established in faith. At the Constitution Convention, as they came to an impasse, they paused to pray, asking for divine intervention. Throughout our history, there have been those times of crises when our leaders have called us to prayer. Our country has been sustained by faith, and if we lose our faith, we lose our freedoms. 
patriot is consistent in character, consistently grateful, consistently responsible, and consistently faithful. But we walk cautiously because we know we can lose our freedom because the roaring lion of tyranny stalks America today. And ladies and gentlemen, I truly believe the greatest threat to America today is not Iran, it is not North Korea, it is not China. It is the sin of its citizens. The greatest threat is our turning away from God the unrighteousness with which we have found ourselves comfortable. Bill Bennett wrote, over the last 30 years, there has been a 560% increase in illegitimate births, a quadrupling in divorces, a tripling of the percentage of children living in single-parent homes, more than a 200% increase in the teenage suicide rate and a drop of 75 points in the average SAT scores of high school students. The toleration of sin has always and continues to bring God's judgment. That happened when the flood came. The Bible says that man's thoughts were continually evil, and so God's judgment came. That happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment came. That happened repeatedly to Israel as they turned away from God. And it will happen in America if we continue the toleration of sin. There is corruption. There's complacency. Edmund Burke wrote, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I know sometimes we want to withdraw. We want to not get involved to keep our hands clean. But how do you reconcile that with when Jesus said to us we are to be salt? We live in a world that is spiritually corrupt and we are to be salt, a preservative. We live in a world of spiritual darkness, and Jesus said you are to be light. We're not to be complacent. No matter what anyone says, the people of God are not to be complacent. Tyranny stalks, but freedom fights. And I believe the first thing we have to do is to repent of sin. As Steve quoted earlier, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. I have been praying that God would send revival to the churches across our land because that is the answer. We, as the people of God, can stop pointing our fingers to the Republicans, can stop pointing our fingers to the Democrats. God said, if my people, if my people, which are called by my name, 
If there is going to be a change, it is going to begin in the house of God. We need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit within the church. It brings conviction of sin, repentance of sin, and faith in God. So I would conclude this way. Do you believe in freedom enough to preserve it? I cannot answer that for you. Do you believe in freedom? Is it important enough to preserve? Do you believe in freedom enough to sacrifice for it? Because it will require sacrifice. In 1776, our founding fathers dreamed of a nation that would be the hub of the world. Today we are sick, plagued by disease, materialism, hedonism, liberalism, paganism, all the other isms you want to add. And the answer to our dilemma is repentance of sin and turning back to God. Is it that important to you? Our Father, we thank you for this land. We thank you for the freedoms you have given us. But Lord, we understand that it is a fragile gift. And Lord, I pray that we might love you so much and each other so much and this land so much that we are willing to preserve it, that we are willing to sacrifice for it. And may a revival begin in this church today, in the churches across our land today. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Just a moment, we're gonna extend an invitation. The choir will sing. I will invite you to come, to trust in the Lord, to join the church. Our doors open, we'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.